you have to acknowledge, A, not only have you been wrong, your parents were wrong. Your grandparents may have been wrong and people that you knew and you love dearly and you think are amazing people, they, were, they weren't right either. Welcome to Season 3 of Walk Like a Hebrew. I'm Jody O'Dell. This podcast is a conversation with regular folks who found themselves in this glorious walk we call being Torah observant. We were once run-of-the-mill Christians, more or less, but something changed, and now we do things very differently than we did before. We study the language and culture of the Bible, we put ourselves into the scriptures as if they were actually written to us, and we understand what it means to Shema, to hear and obey the words of God. We follow our Savior and Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus as he's commonly known today, in a much more literal way than we did before. We walk out our faith just like he did, celebrating God's seven biblical feasts, learning the difference between clean and unclean, as instructed by the prophet Ezekiel and the apostle Paul, and observing and guarding the biblical Sabbath day with all our might. Walk Like a Hebrew is listener-supported. Please consider making either a one-time or recurring donation by visiting sheholdsforth.com donate, or by subscribing to podhero.com and following Walk Like a Hebrew. We now have Walk Like a Hebrew merch available in our Etsy store. You'll find hoodies, mugs, t-shirts, and more by going to Etsy and searching Walk Like a Hebrew. My guests today are Matt and Keely Cook of Fort Worth, Texas. Matt and his buddy Jake have a podcast called Sabbath Lounge, which covers a lot of the topics important to people like us, including commentaries on the weekly Torah portions, how to talk to people about the Torah life, and discussions about the culture and events that are happening right now in our days. Today on Walk Like a Hebrew, Matt and Keely and I talk about church, the effect of a transformed lifestyle on our teens, and what not to do with the seeds of knowledge. Welcome to Walk Like a Hebrew. I'm here this morning with Matt and Keely Cook of Fort Worth, Texas. How are you guys doing this morning? We're doing great. We're great. It's uh, great to be here with you. Can you just give us a little introduction about yourself? Um, I'm Keely, and um, Matt and I have been married for 27 years. We met in college, and we have three children, and uh, live on a small sheep farm, and just doing what we do every day. Nice. What do you do with your sheep? Well, we do eat some of them ourselves, and we sell some of them to because they're uh, organic, free-range, you know, non-GMO kind Yum. of meat. And uh, there are a few uh, local restaurants and things that will that will buy them from us. Oh, that sounds delicious! My kids used to raise 4-H sheep. Not quite the same. They're yeah. definitely not non-GMO. No, 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 no. That's for sure. But yeah, we live uh, we live on a compound with my wife's parents, and uh, the family farm has been in how long? Over a hundred years. Over a hundred years with the same people. So wow, that's uh, pretty unique. And uh, so we're honored to carry on that tradition. And uh, we live here with her parents, who also are Torah observant, and um, my uh, oldest son and his wife, who also are her Torah observant. And then our youngest son lives here. And then we have a daughter in college. But uh, the rest of us, we're all on the same property and we eat many meals together. So the whole concept of social distancing and things in this time, it's kind of <laughs> different for us. What a blessing. What a blessing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it is a blessing, you know, and uh, w- when we were in college, we went to the same Christian university and we, we grew up in the Church of Christ tradition and uh, we went to uh, what's called Lubbock Christian University. And that's kind of like a Church of Christ seminary, if you will, because they don't yes. really have seminaries, but this is as close as they come. We had a class together and um, 
there was this thing they did. What was it called? Twerp Week. Twerp Week. Mm-hmm. The, the woman is required to pay. So we were friends, but I asked him out on a date for that week. So hold on, go go back and say that that whole thing again. <laughs> what, what is that week called? Twerp. The woman is required to pay. <laughs> so it's like this week where girls have the opportunity to ask boys out for that, you know, that week. And so oh. <laughs> twerp is an acronym. Yes. The woman yeah. is required to pay. Got yes. it. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's cute. But yeah, we we now live in the home that we uh, got married in. So that is so cool. Yeah, it really is. Now, how long did you stay in the Church of Christ tradition after you got married? Well, our our two stories are slightly different. You know, I started in the Church of Christ pretty much from birth. My grandparents were Church of Christ, and my grandfather was an elder in the little church. And and I kind of went off and on. I have a really crazy background where I. Um, didn't always live with my biological mother, and I had like three or four different stepdads through the years, and my mother had different boyfriends, and so my life was traumatic a little bit and a little mm-hmm. chaotic. And eventually, she signed over custody and uh, of me to another family, which is a story for another day. But they were also Church of Christ. You know, one one great thing about the Church of Christ is they believe they do believe in Scripture and believe that it is inspired and true. And uh, so they taught me that. And then, uh, you know, we got married and stayed in the church. And then how long do you think? We left in um, 2007. 2007. And Mm -hmm. I was a, uh, at one point I was a youth minister. I was a deacon in the church. Um, We both taught Bible classes. You know, she taught kids and, uh, you know, I taught a lot of those youth classes and some adult classes. And the longer we stayed there, the the more we realized, um, that, you know, that we had to do something different. So, so maybe 2014 is what you're no, saying. We no, we were in it 14 years. We, we left in 2007. Years. Yeah, I think we just, just finally came to the realization that we were definitely square pegs trying to fit in a round <laughs> hole. And yeah. it's either stay and be miserable and make the people around you miserable because we were kind of in more leadership positions or you get out. You know, it just wasn't right. We couldn't stay and make that work. And it, it was um, the day we did that. It was kind of like that moment in history where Martin Luther puts his thesis on the, the church. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I, I handed my letter in and it, it kind of felt like that kind of a moment. And a, another guy did it with me and end up, you know, like three guys at the same time do it. Anyway, it was definitely one of those moments where uh, there were lots of forces pulling on us and it was hard to know what to do kind of thing. And, and, and we were in mourning for a period of time because that was such a part of our life. You know, that, yeah. that that church building was where we brought home our babies and where they grew up. And there were people that loved them dearly. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was really hard. It was like it was like uh, going through a grieving loss process, really. And, and so yes. we would we had to drive by this church all the time, every day. And I can remember, you know, I was a, a school teacher at the time and I had summers off. And that summer, I mean, it, it was sad. I had a lot of sadness and time to think about this sadness, which sometimes is bad. And, uh, you know, every time I drove by, I was like, oh, yeah, we used to have this family. And it's almost like a an extended family that we had disappeared instantly. So many people we had been friends with for 20 years knew us very well. We'd mm-hmm. gone on trips together. They they really knew us. They'd helped us with home projects, car projects. You know, our lives were, you know, all meshed together and they just dropped us like that. And it was, it was crazy. Were those issues that you were having with people, were those because of your discovery of the Bible, the rest of the Bible? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, it was definitely faith issues, belief issues. It was not uh, anything else other than we were 
discovering things and they just couldn't walk down the same path with us anymore. And we, yeah, we weren't walking into Torah at that point, but we were, our eyes were open and we realized the concept of denominationalism was incorrect and wrong and we weren't supposed to be there. We knew that. So tell me what was the, what's the story of how you came to a realization that you needed to pursue the study of the Torah? Well, when we left, we kind of, um, Matt didn't want to, but he went along and cause you know, you leave church and you go, well, where do we go to church next? And so we kind of started a little group. Well, you said I didn't, I didn't want to do anything. Yeah. That. Matt didn't want to do anything. I was done. I was like, <laughs> I am not doing church anymore because church for me, Sunday, we went to Sunday night church and I, it was a snooze fest. I mean, as soon as I sat down, I, I didn't know about Sabbath then. And so as soon yeah. as I sit down in a pew Sunday night, I'm, I'm out, out. <laughs> You finally get to sit down and relax for a minute. Yes. And so to me, that was um, not appropriate behavior. (laughs) So I was always inventing new projects for Matt and I to be involved in at church to help him stay awake. So then we created this whole children's church. And then when he got tired of that, then we did a whole thing called Sunday Night Live where we brought in people that were interested in expanding their biblical knowledge, which is really the catalyst that got us to where we were to leave the church. So once we left, I'm like, we have to do something. So we started, um, basically started a small church that met in a city hall nearby. And then once we finally decided to, to end that, which was a whole nother. Well, we uh, had some, had some prayer and fasting about yeah, it on multiple mm-hmm. occasions. Yeah. And, you know, cause there were people that wanted to have a name and they wanted to stab a 503C and all these things. And Keely really, after praying and fasting, she really felt convicted that we weren't supposed to have a name. And, you know, at the time I was, I had read Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Church, and uh, I had kind of had that stuff in my head. And that's what I was thinking we were doing as we were building this. And I kind of got, I kind of went from hating it then to kind of going, hey, yeah, this is cool. Let's see what can happen. And But then quickly we realized all the reasons we left church, the same people did everything. Yeah. 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 And so I left from being a Bible class coordinator from our old church to a certain age level. I was a coordinator. And quickly moved back into the same position, not trying to, <laughs> just kind of by nature. And so at yeah. some point during this process, while we're starting this new group, I finally told Matt, I, I don't I don't think it's right that our children are segregated from us. I think that, you know, if children are here in this group, we should all be learning together. We should all be learning the same thing. And I'm not going to teach Bible class anymore. Somebody else wants to. That's great. But our children and I will be sitting in the class like everybody else. And so that kind of started this whole other thing. You know, of course, people with children, a lot of times don't like that. (laughs) They want to have their time to study and not have their children beside them. But it was something I was really convicted of to not be segregated from my children during worship service. I think that led us on a path. And then with the fasting, everything, we decided to basically we dissolved the group. And so we started meeting in our homes and we had a group um, on Wednesday nights that was just young people. But on Sunday nights, it started on Sundays or Sunday mornings, we met with my parents and another couple just to do a study. And so we're like, well, what are we going to study? How, what's this going to look like? And we just decided as a group, we'd start at the beginning in Genesis and just start reading again. Let's, let's look at it with fresh eyes. Let's just, you know, and we just sat and read scripture and discussed. I think the thing for me was reading the Passover story again, which was a story that I taught in Bible class, you know, since I was a junior in high school. (laughs) But when (laughs) you read it, sit down and read it with fresh eyes and not as a teacher, but as a student, 
I realized that it said you are to do this forever. And that word forever just was like blinding at that point. And I'm like, well, what does that mean forever? Why don't we do that anymore? What? What? (laughs) Why did I not ever see this before? And so how did that get there? (laughs) Yeah, for me, that was huge. That was that was kind of what started me personally on my journey through this. You know, fortunately, as a side note, my parents were on the same journey with us, which I know rarely happens. That is very rare. They um, attended the same church that, you know, originally that we did. And and my dad was actually an elder there. And he left when we left. He, they went on this journey and did this small church with us. And so I feel like it was such a blessing that we were on this path with my parents that we had, you know, another couple that we could discuss, bounce ideas, try to understand what we were learning along the way. And so I think the four of us were on the same path, but definitely had divergence from from each other trying to figure it out on our own. But really for me, that that Passover story, reading it again, was huge. And ironically enough, when we would meet on Sundays, uh, we we uh, would cook like her dad would grill like a pound of bacon on the grill. <laughs> You know, that was that was before we learned that we were supposed to eat biblically clean. You do what you can with what you know at the time and then exactly. when you learn better, we hadn't you gotten better. to Le- we hadn't gotten to Leviticus yet. We were just in Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> well and, and, and interesting enough, you know, this this uh, church that we kind of were a part of, you know, we'd kind of set up some el- an eldership, if you will, or a pastoral care and one of those guys in that group talked about you know, at some point he said, hey, I think we're supposed to be doing the feast. And he actually probably is one of the first places we heard it. And uh, interesting enough, that guy kind of explored it and then he walked away from it. And yeah. he thinks it's all crazy now. Oh, weird. You know? I, know. Mm-hmm. I know. So he was so close. And I still have hope that one day that could happen for him. But it was, it's just interesting that he was so close to it and walked away. And I think maybe it came down to him realizing that it was going to be very difficult uh, to get his entire family on board and it just was never going to happen. So I don't well, know. Well, it's a, it's a paradigm shift that is not only difficult, but it's painful. Yeah. The last church that I attended before I quit Sunday church he actually did a whole sermon series on the Sabbath. And his conclusion was, well, I don't know what we're supposed to do. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing for now until God tells us otherwise. And you go, he, he already told us. <laughs> yeah, he just told you. He just made it clear to you. Come on. <laughs> the other thing that happened to us is forever Christmas was depressing to me. I hated it. Um, you know, I, I felt sad. You know, there were things that had happened in my past and just Christmas was a difficult time for me from, you know, from the beginning. And, and when we had children, I didn't like the fact that we gave them all these gifts. I was just kind of dr- the whole thing drove me crazy. And I, I was just down about it all the time. And as we came into this, I was I was so excited when she was like, let's throw the Christmas stuff away. I was like, where? When? How do we do this? You want a trash can? There, there was no hesitation. You know, I would teach these classes and I had already done things like I had chased down Halloween. And of course, that's an easy one to figure out. And I remember teaching youth about Halloween. So we kind of had this journey where we were really conservative. Then we kind of got liberal in our faith. And then we came back to being, you know, more biblically centered. Can I say my scripture? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So mine is Exodus 32. So the Passover thing was big. But for me, when I read the golden calf and I realized that the people at the golden calf were doing this, uh, you know, in 32.1, it says the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mount 
And, and there's a line eventually in here where it basically alludes to the fact that, hey, we did this for you. So it's in 32.5. It says, tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh. And, and I saw that as mixing the holy with the profane. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. That is these holidays. <laughs> and then and then I had biblical proof. And that's all I needed. I was like, I'm done. I don't have to do anything with these other things. I know that this has all been polluted and I've been wrong. And, 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 and like you said, it's such a process because you have to acknowledge, A, not only have you been wrong, your parents were wrong. Your grandparents may have been wrong and people that you knew and you love dearly and you think are amazing people, they, were, they weren't right either. And so that, that's a really hard thing to deal with. And you don't do it lightly or quickly. Was it easy for your kids to come along with you or did you have to convince them? <laughs> How did that go? Well, at this point, you know, when we really finally saw that this was kind of the path we were going, that, you know, thinking about the feast, eating biblically clean, no Christmas. Our oldest was in high school. That's the worst possible age <laughs> to start doing this. All our kids were that age when yeah. we started. Our daughter was in intermediate Seventh, school. Grade, yeah. no, I don't think she was quite in junior high oh, yet. Yeah. yeah. And then our youngest was in elementary school. And I will say, Micah, our youngest, has been the most on board. And probably because of his age. Probably because when this kind of evolved, we were all together as a family and we weren't all segregated. You know, my other two had gone through being involved in different things in church, you know, having these groups and things. And when you yank that away, that's very difficult. I think probably our oldest had the hardest time because when our friends stopped wanting to associate basically with us, they had children that were his age. And Mm -hmm. so then they also withdraw their friendship. Well, we were wounded just like he was. And we were licking our own wounds that we we were so busy doing that. We didn't realize till later, wait a minute, he had the same issues. He had the same wounds. He was just coming into being socially aware in, in a time in your life when the youth and all that was about to start happening for him and it all just kind of stopped suddenly. So, so it was needless to say difficult for him. Um, but I think probably the one that's had the hardest journey is our daughter in the middle. I think it's because she had probably the most friends from a traditional faith background. And so it was very difficult for her to explain or even desire to explain, no, we don't go to church anymore. You know, we're doing this weird thing. It's just, I mean, you know, instead of Christians, people who should be most like-minded with you, being accepting of you, continuing your faith and wanting to delve deeper, they become very judgmental and think that you've lost your mind. And so, you know, she kind of was dealing with that with her own friends and just afraid to even, you know, have those kinds of conversations. I am thankful to say now that all three of them are on board. What, what a blessing that, you know, your children finally realize that you're not crazy. And, and again, I I attribute a lot of that to my parents too, because we are again on the same path. And so it's, it's not just their parents telling them these things. And something that I think I would like to add is if you are, if you find yourself in this kind of situation, you know, you, you need to study and look at how patient our father is with us. You have to do that with your children. You know, I think especially if they're like junior high, teenagers, you can't freak out if they want to go back to church at some point. It's a fine line where you have to learn how to let them have enough rope, if you will, to go the, a little bit of the direction they want to go, but guide them. It's amazing. You know, you pray for your kids. You pray that they will have spouses that will love y'all and, and help them, you know, on their path. And 
he's faithful and true and he answers prayer. And it's, it's just amazing to watch it happen. And, and I will say, you know, it's not all roses. You know, our, we have family members who are not on board and yeah. who are close to. And those relationships, like many of you listening, they've suffered. You know, we can't sugarcoat that and act like that. That's just fantastic. But um, there's some older folks sometimes in my family that don't understand. And, you know, I know a lot of people in the tour movement, they want to hammer people and just be like, man, putting it in their face all the time. But my approach is a little different and I'm pretty gentle with my loved ones and I don't hammer it in their face all the time. And if the opportunity provides, I will explain if need be, but I'm not, I don't get too worried if their perception of me and what I do, if they still think I'm a Christian, because it's what, it's what they understand. And, and I'm, and I'm okay with that because until they're ready, until they have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it, I'm just going to be a, just noise in the background anyway. Exactly. And, and, and I want, I want to be revel, uh, relevant in their life and I want to be heard. And, and so many people, I think they get this knowledge and they, they understand the parable of the sower. And one of the things in the parable of the sower, it does not say to do is it doesn't say take your entire bag of seed and prepare the soil and just dump it in one big pile. And, uh, <laughs> and so a lot of people see their loved ones as this plowed ground ready for a tremendous, you know, bag of seed and they dump it all at one time and, you know, it doesn't do well. And, uh, and, and, so, and many times if we use, especially with jargon, I'm big on jargon and there's, you know, we pick up these new words and we start using all this jargon, you know, and, and a lot of our loved ones, they don't care. They're not interested. And I just think we have to be really careful of how we treat those relationships. And we have to remember that our father is extremely patient, extremely long suffering with humankind. And he was patient with us and we didn't get it. And so he's going to be patient with them too. And, and, and it's okay. And, and it's, it's his show and we're just, we just got to do our part. And, um, that's kind of how I've done it, right or wrong. That's that's how I try to treat my family. Yeah. Well, and I've, I, you know, I started out, I think I told you before, I started out as a Torah terrorist, just because that's kind of part of my personality. Not one that I'm proud of, honestly, but I didn't spread that far and wide. I kept it to my to my mother, mainly, because, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's the one that I bounce all of my, up until that point, I had, I bounced all my, everything I was learning off of her. She wasn't coming along. She wasn't understanding it. And so I just took the lesson from that not to do that to anybody else because relationships are important. And I, and I discovered too that, you know, once you start keeping the Torah to the best of your ability, you don't have to say anything to anybody. No, (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty obvious. And people who want to know, people who are genuinely interested, they will ask. Yeah. You don't have to say a word. Well, just like your story with uh, Cherie, you know, that's a powerful, powerful testimony and a powerful moment. And that just hearing you tell that story spoke volumes to me about uh, and and it definitely convicted me about wearing a Zitzi. I'm like, yeah, I used to wear one. I I now have two and I may eventually (laughs) have four. You know, it's a process (laughs) for me. (laughs) And and we've just heard too many other stories where people we know that are in our our group that meets um, that uh, they that's how they met. They was they were at the park and they saw these people wearing ZZs. Hey, what are you doing? And you know, it is a conversation yeah. starter. Yeah, that's I actually know a family. That's exactly how they got their fellowship group was by wearing their ZZs out in the community. Mm-hmm. And people saw them and said, "Hey, I know what that is. I know what that means." The people who know what it is, they know what it is. And people right. who don't know what it is, just don't even really see it. Right. So, 
What do you call yourselves when somebody asks you about your religion? It's, it's so complicated. You know, people think that <laughs> it is complicated. You know, I, I usually say, as, how, how long do you have? Yeah. You want the short right. version? Oh. You want the long version? <laughs> it, it's, you know, because I, I actually work in a school and so we don't talk a whole lot about faith, you know, on a normal basis yeah. at school, but people think I'm Jewish because they know I celebrate the feasts. And so I try to explain, well, you know, I do believe in Jesus. <laughs> You know, that's always my first thing. I do what, what Jesus does. Our daughter-in-law actually came up with one of the best, you know, things. She's like, I try to do exactly what Jesus did. Oh. And that means following the laws, you know, celebrating the feasts, eating how he ate. And I think that's just genius. It's so simple. But there's not a name for this. Yes, there's not a name for it. mm you know, for a lot of people, I have started with the concept of <clears throat> messianic uh, Torah observing because, I, you know, it gave them something they could kind of wrap their mind around. But I've kind of gotten away from that because I've realized some of my people that I've told that to who really grew up around a, a Jewish population, they see me way different because I framed that, unfortunately, for them. And they thought for a long time I was uh, all they heard was I'm Jewish, which was unfortunate. What do you call yourself? <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> All right. So who are your favorite resources? Maybe top three, or do you have any? Oh, yeah, no, I do. Um, I, top three. I can't do that. <laughs> um, so, you know, the first thing, the first thing I did uh, early on is I read a book called Pagan Christianity by Barna and I think Frank Viola. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a, it's got a red cover and it looks kind of scary, you know, cause you're like yeah. oh, pagan. I'm not supposed to be right. that. And, uh, but it talks about, church and the origins of church and why things got set up. And I encourage people to, if you're new in this, read that. That'll help you understand a lot of the things with church. And then I would say Jim Staley, his identity crisis. Yeah, that was, was very huge. powerful. His whole lesson, I don't know if it was the one called identity crisis, but the, his one about food, that was like step number two for me. That was huge for me. It, it, it changed my whole perspective. Jim Staley's yeah. amazing. And, and Zach Bauer was influential, you know, new to Torah, Psalm 119, and, and, and Steve Mutria, we kind of mm -hmm. followed him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and of course, Rob Skiba and his uh, mythology teaching. And the other thing we did fairly early on, we attended uh, a conference called the, Knowing the End from the Beginning. And it was down in Beaumont, Texas, and a bunch of people went down there. And it was like-minded people. And some of those people I just mentioned, they spoke there. And I got to meet them and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where you realize, wow, hey, there are other people that are doing this. Thank you so very much for sitting down with me. You have no idea how much I appreciate this. Thank you for listening to Walk Like a Hebrew. Please check out Sabbath Lounge on your favorite podcast app, YouTube, and on the web at itsyahushua.com. Like and share our Facebook page at Walk Like a Hebrew. Subscribe to Walk Like a Hebrew on your favorite app or on YouTube and follow us on Instagram. Subscribe, follow, comment, leave a review. All these things will help get the word out about this podcast. You can find links to the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on your podcast app by visiting the link tree in our Instagram bio and on Facebook or by visiting visiting sheholdsforth.com. May Yahovah bless you. We'll catch you next time.